Hello and welcome to the menu, Monaco's program on great food, drink and hospitality. I am Marcus Hippi. In the next half an hour, we meet Ruth Rogers, star chef and founder of the River Cafe. She discusses her new book and how the world of food has changed since the restaurant institution opened its doors in the late 1980s. Basically, our ambition was to have a restaurant that served the kind of food that we ate in Italy that we could support the farmers who you know who were really interested in organics also ahead cooking inspiration for this christmas and a great dinner soundtrack recommendation too that is all ahead in this episode of the menu One of Monaco's favorite restaurants is London institution, the River Cafe. And one of our favorite restaurateurs is its incomparable founder, Ruthie Rogers. Ruthie and her executive chefs, Sean Wynne Owen and Joseph Trivelli, have published a new cookbook. It's called the River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for kids of all ages. With more than 50 recipes, all influenced by the River Cafe's classics, it features an innovative design and sumptuous photography by Matthew Donaldson. So, what was the inspiration behind the new book and what else has been cooking at River Cafe HQ on the Thames? Tom Edwards popped over to chat to Ruthie at the restaurant amidst the hustle and bustle of prep for a busy lunchtime service. The backstory is that Fiden actually asked us to do a kids' book, a book for kids, and we thought, you know, that that could be interesting. We've done all sorts of books, and uh, we've done vegetable books. We've done a compilation of our recipes for thirtieth birthday. We've done a classic Italian. Maybe we should do one for children. We all have children. I have grandchildren, so um, we thought, let's have a go. So I think what we thought at the beginning was a team is always Matthew Donaldson, who's a photographer and Anthony and Stephanie of Michael Nash. So we thought all together, and it's very collaborative, we don't just do a book and then hand it over to the designer or the photographer. And we thought, let's do a book for kids, which is a kind of back to the step-by-step book, you know. I would say, choose a tomato, buy a tomato, peel a tomato, squash a tomato, fry a tomato, whatever. and. Um, And then we and so we took all the photographs of the finished food. We wrote all the recipes in a very kind of clear way. And then we thought we were bored to tears by doing that step by step. It just wasn't us. You know, other people have done it before, and other people have done it better. You know, maybe we should think of something. How can we actually inspire people to cook rather than immediately teach them how to cook? Uh, my daughter-in-law, Bernie Huang, actually found these books on you know, on the internet, which were done as a grant from the Nestle Foundation. And they um, were done by two neurologists, an artist and a photographer. And what they, it is apparently a neurological fact, we have facts, that when you pair photographs together, something happens to your awareness, your visual awareness, your thinking, your brain. And so they did these books really for people with brain injury, dementia, or um, autism, you know, that whose brains may just think in a different way or respond in a different way. And they are pairings of photographs. So you see a Vermeer portrait next to, um, you know, next to the rising moon. And then you see Sammy Davis Jr. in a microphone with cannoli. Um, 
I'll, I'll show them to you. And there was something that does make you stop and think. And so we thought maybe we could do a book in which instead of having a photograph of food and then the recipe, which could make you slightly intimidated or think, oh, that recipe looks so long, I'm not going to go for that. Um, it would make you think if you saw it, if you didn't see a recipe, but you saw that, you see, which is a photograph of a woman and a flower. So there is a relationship that you know sometimes better, sometimes worse. That <laughs> that's you might a great. See. That's yeah. a great pairing. It's very hard to do this audio because it's so visual. That no, but it, um, so this example would be there's three cherubic, beautiful sleeping children and sort of washing on a on a line, which mm. inexplicably. It does go together. It does go together. Um, There's something that makes you look twice um, at, a, at pairings. And so we thought, you know, let's, let's be kind of slightly inspired that. And then we thought, well, if we have... So, so going back, Matthew Donaldson took every single photograph of the food. And he's a brilliant photographer. He's not necessarily a food photographer. So he looks at food in a very... Uh, honest way mm. and that's what we do in the River Cafe we don't stylize we don't have special special lighting although we do have lighting because you see he works a lot in shadow yeah. and there's so, a be beautiful shadow um, being thrown by that pie in that last yeah, picture and that you know there so we've got ice cream and a toothbrush I think I, I, there was a there's a there's a telephone and ice cream somewhere yeah there's a pumpkin and a pumpkin on a bicycle <laughs> this one which is penne that shape and then you see the shapes here of a I think it's probably somewhere in, you know, on the water in perhaps in Naples. And do you think that children maybe, because they look at the well, they look at the world differently from a, it's from yeah. a, a lower a lower yeah. height, yeah. but also they look at it with a certain naivety and yes. innocence. They have fewer learned responses. Do you think that the book can tap into that? Yes. Uh, that, that 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 newness and that freshness yeah. of aspect is yeah. that I, one of I the ideas? I think that that's really perceptive of you because. That's what we're saying, and, and not only children, but you know, in the age of Instagram, where we're all looking at photographs and we're all looking at different photographs and we're thinking about how you send a mo message with a photograph, and sometimes people text you back and you say how are you, and then you get a photograph back, don't you? You know, and so I think we're all looking, whether that's a good or a bad thing, because you know maybe we're not reading or writing or speaking, we're on the image. But I think that th for for somebody starting to cook. When you see a telephone and you see, see sorbet next to each other, that might just think that is so intriguing. You know, why did? And then by that time, you've looked at that photograph of the sorbet. You might think, you know, I'm going to have a go. And then you flick to these beautifully, uh, the the color pages, which you know every single recipe is on a different color page. It's very subtle, so you you know, but you see the way the oranges float into the yellows. And the yellows into the greens, and the greens into the blues, and the blues into the dark blues. So if you see that, um, it by the time you get to the recipe, you have said, "I'm going to make that," because I've looked at that photograph for a while. No, it's very, and there's a playful, there's a playfulness. It's very bright. There's a sort of ha an easy, happy confidence about yeah. it, which I think people who know the restaurant and your approach will yeah. will, will recognise. Um, so what happened was that we did this book. And then my friend Fiona Golfer came to Mexico and she looked at it and she was looking at it. It was called the River Cafe Cookbook for Kids. And she said, you know, it's not a cookbook, it's really a lookbook. And so we changed it. And, you know, they, we kept the word kids on it because it is for 
beginners. I mean, every single recipe could be and has been cooked in the River Cafe and served and charged for. You know, it's nothing that we haven't sort of said, oh, we'll do cinnamon rolls, you know, for children, or we'll do something that they, they want to eat that doesn't come up to what we consider good food. And, um, and it's based on good ingredients, it's based on simplicity, it's been, been on ease of shopping and you know, ease of cooking. But it could be you know, bought by people in their 80s or in their 90s or in their, they, they're recently single or they've just bought an apartment or they're going to university or graduating from you know, all the cycles in a life when you want to start cooking. So. Universality. Yes, which is, exactly. Which is, which is nice. Yeah. Obviously, our listeners are, are global, so there might be people I don't know in the States or yeah, elsewhere in the world possibly don't know about the, the, the cafe. If we go all the way back to the beginning, we spoke a little bit uh, to mm. Chan about this earlier, but to the what, late 1980s now, isn't it? It's so we opened the River years. Cafe in 1987, and um, my husband, Richard Rogers, and his partners had just finished the Pompidou Center, and we lived in Paris for six years. And when we came back, he really did not want to just go into an office loft building in Paddington or in Notting Hill or in the city. Or He wanted to have a community. And so they found these warehouses. And uh, it was Duckham's Oil Warehouse on the Thames. And uh, we tore down one of the buildings that blocked the view of the river, filled it with other architects, other designers, a framer, a glassmaker and needed a place to eat. And so Rose had just come, Rose Gray, my partner, uh, had just come back from New York where she decided she wanted to cook. I'd been working as a graphic designer and I thought, had children, I thought maybe I'd really like to do this with her. And so we, two of us just came and looked at this tiny little site and um, started very small. She made pastas, I made sandwiches, I made sandwiches, she made pastas. You know, we just went back and forth. And the um, reason I think it's been slightly dubbed the staff canteen was that the planners wouldn't let us open to the public for the first six months. We were only open to the people who worked in these um, warehouses. But then six months later, we opened to the public at lunchtime. Six months later, we opened in the evening. A year later, we were able to make a bigger space. And so, you know, we've grown organically. And now, you know, 34. Five years later, where we have a hundred, you know, we started with five or six staff. I think we have 140, and we are open seven days a week. And we had, I think, 239 people on Sunday. But I'd say that we still the the values of the restaurant when we opened are still there. We have a, a small amount of chefs. The chefs are only, you know, they have to have two. Everybody who works in the restaurant has to have two days off a week. Um, they, we don't let anybody in the kitchen do more than one double. You know, we try and keep it. They all get involved. Everybody in the restaurant, the waiters, get involved with prepping. So I think those values of, you know, trying to have as many women as we can, you know, diversity, all that, being kind, being careful, being clean. It's, it's a family restaurant, but, you know, there's a lot of rigor and professionalism. In order to be a family, then you have to be on time. You have to, you know, clear up your workspace. You have to, you know, present yourself as a chef, and and we use ingredients that are always in season and not brought from all different corners of the world. So that that ethics still are there. 
some of those values just you know i don't know there's that many patrons who who would talk about you know being kind as being a fundamental value but you can absolutely feel that here but all of these things you mentioned seasonality uh, sustainability yeah we didn't even didn't even have that word in 1987 yeah, it's but it's always permeated everything you, you've done did you did you ever suspect that it would be as influential as it was it's obviously an absolute london institution now on the culinary scene but you guys um, and Rose, you're cited so often. You've been involved in the development of so many mm. incredible chefs as well, both who are still here and who've Thank gone you. on. Thank you. Did you, could you have suspected that it was going to play that role in changing the whole landscape here? Well, I'm a little bit modest, so it's all right for you to say that. But I, I said it. Very, you said it. <laughs> so I just say that, you know, um, I think all of us have different kinds of ambition or different kinds of senses. I think that. Basically, our ambition was to have a restaurant that served the kind of food that we ate in Italy, that uh, we could support the farmers who, you know, who were really interested in organics and, you know, in, in Britain. So we bought seeds back from, for Cavallo Nero from Tuscany. And I think we wanted to, you know, to nurture and, as you say, encourage people to work. Uh, as chefs and as managers. Now, influence, I think, I would share with other people because I think we were not, you know, the only ones. I think Sally Clark was doing it. Alistair Little, you know, that I think in America, uh, once you start naming names, you always get in trouble. But I think that Roly Lee had, a, you know, was out there in Kensington Place. And I think that Alice Walters and Judy Rogers and Wolfgang Puck. The list is long that something was happening in the early 80s that we were all thinking, why does it have to be that a restaurant can either be terrifying and intimidating and you the scared of the chef and made you feel stupid by the sommelier in so many cases. Um, and that doesn't But eat anymore. really well, really well or have a really good time and go to some you know trattoria greek place down the road and be welcomed and have fun and you know not worry about that but not eat very well so i think we were all thinking let's try and do that and i think that one of the great great pride i have is in the people who've worked here and then went on to do other things i think that when people tell me with that look in their eye that you know it's time for them to go hi john um you know, the desire always is, you know, I hope you'll keep cooking. I hope that you'll cook well. When I talk to April or Jamie or, as you say, Hugh or, you know, again, I'm going to miss names. It's a long list. So it's, it's a long list. Everybody. You know, and they do say that often they're in their kitchen and they're thinking about the River Cafe and they're thinking, you know. Uh, and I think it makes you also realize that when a lot of chefs who have stayed, you know, they're no, no less ambitious. Uh, than the ones who have left. They are, you know, they want to make, they come to work and they want to make the best, thinnest, most delicate ravioli they can make, you know. And so they want to make sure that the table, who is, you know, saved up for months to come here, has a great table. You know, I think that had a good experience. So I think, um, you know, those are the, you know, the influence, the fashion, the fame is great and I'm really lucky and I appreciate it but I think it comes with a lot of other values. This is a book which um, well it was interesting one of your excellent chefs with whom we spoke a little earlier was talking about how it could almost be a recruitment tool for the, yeah. for, the, for the River Cafe. What kind of reaction do you 
what excites you about the reaction of children seeing this book? If we, yeah, if we we've go had right a great, well, again, um, Sean Owen and Joseph Trevelli are the co-authors of the book. It was a, you know, three of us. And you'd have to say Matthew Donaldson. It's really, I keep saying to Matthew, it's really your book because every single page of the photographs are his. Because the other thing I want to say is that we did not commission photographs to match the photograph. We went through his archives. So some of these photographs are 10 years old. You know, they, they were not saying, let's find a photograph to match a sorbet. They were there. It was really difficult. And I think um, the, my grandchildren, uh, one of them wrote a review for Airmail. Um, she's 14. And, um, and so I can judge by them. I judge by people telling me their kids loved it. I, and I judge by people saying, they love it, you know, they, they're using it, they're, they find it fun and exciting. We've sold quite a lot of copies, which is nice so far. And um, as Sean said, you know, she has children, Joseph has young children, and uh, yeah, and my grandchildren are, I'm so old, they're going to university, so they're using it. So I hope it's... It's uh, that universality again. Yeah, and the thing that I also really like about this book is we, we fought many battles to you know, whether it was the colors or the, just having photographs. And Fiden were really great with us. But the um, battle we had to win was the fact that there was no hard cover, which would have meant that you wouldn't have this flush um, box that we could give people. But what I really like is now that it's in paperback, and but a hard cover, very durable, it made the price point, you know, much lower. So I think it's, you know, 24 pounds or 17 on Amazon. And that means that more people can buy it and have fun with it not worry about getting it you know dirty or it's not a precious book you might keep one on your coffee table and one in the kitchen and one in the bedroom exactly buy three uh, why not because it will never look better than when it's sort of well thumbed and it's got exactly bolognese exactly exactly um ruth one last thought then what, what are you most excited about next season of the podcast the book the restaurant yeah. is as packed as it always is seemingly yeah. on every yeah. service um it's now easier to travel around the world yes. and meet people again and enjoy different foods and find new things, whatever age people are at. But what do you? What most excites you? Uh, well, about all of what's that. I'd all say of all things. of that. But what really interests me right now, and I hate to end this on a, or maybe I want to end this on a, on another note, which is we have a crisis, you know, in this country, and we have a crisis in feeding our children. And we're talking about children feeding our children through buying a, a cookbook. That's great. Or people coming into the River Cafe more and more with their children. We were young people using restaurants in a way that I never did. We have people in this country who are going to have to choose whether to turn on the heat or feed their children. And that is deplorable. That is shocking. And, um, uh, you know, I think Jamie Oliver and other chefs and myself are really looking at a way in terms of trying to be excited is to find a way that we can be a less an equal society and to take care of our kids you know mm. and that if we look at other countries and see what they're doing it's um, my own country the United States so I'm not an American in London criticizing I'm British resident and, and citizen but I do feel we all should be excited by the fact that maybe we can actively try and change things mm. for people who need help. That was Ruth Rogers chatting to Tom Edwards at the River Cafe. And the River Cafe lookbook, Recipes for Kids of All Ages, is out now and is published by Fiden.
Let's next hear the week's hospitality headlines. Here is Monaco's Lillian Fawcett. A row has erupted between the EU and Italy's government over the country's beachside hospitality venues. Italy is under pressure by the bloc to allow foreign ownership of beach clubs and restaurants, many of which are lucrative family-run businesses. Former Prime Minister Mario Draghi planned to make the change by 2024, but the government of his far-right successor Giorgia Maloney says the move would diminish the authentic Italian identity of the venues. Malaysia is now home to four Michelin-starred restaurants after the release of the country's first Michelin Guide this week. In the capital Kuala Lumpur, Dewa Khan and DC Restaurant received the accolade. In Second City Penang, stars went to Restaurant Au Jardin and Auntie Gake Lean's Old School Eatery. Argentine winery Catena Zapata has opened a new restaurant where its wine takes centre stage. Angelica Cocina Maestra is housed in a specially built venue on the same estate as the company's iconic Mayan pyramid-shaped winery in the Andean Mendoza province. Laura Catena of the family-run vineyard said the restaurant's dishes were designed to be paired with its wines. I'm Lillian Fawcett and those are the week's headlines. Thanks, Lillian. You are with The Menu on Monocle 24. Before this week's dinner soundtrack recommendation, let's get some Christmas table inspiration. This is what Monocle's staff members from around the world expect from this Christmas. Hello, I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco and I am indeed from Brazil. Well, Christmas tradition is a funny one. Uh, my family is not the most traditional and we are actually staging a protest against Turkey. Uh, because it's never been that popular and there's always a lot of leftovers. So you know what we do? We buy a nice piece of meat, a filet mignon, we love it. Or, or even picanha, which is some sort of Brazilian rump steak vibes. I mean, I know it's not the most traditional Christmas Eve, but it's such a success and it matches the weather uh, in Brazil during Christmas, which tends to be quite hot, a bit rainy at times. And for drink, I think champagne is nice, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge you if you prefer a nice cold beer. And desserts are very, very, very important. We usually have some lovely, uh, well-decorated Christmas cake as well, but... We love the Brigadeiros. They are always in every single Brazilian party. They are basically chocolate balls made with condensed milk. You have the white version as well where you can add coconut to it. I think the kids love it, the adults love it, the grannies love it. Everyone will be very happy. And I wish you a Feliz Natal. My name is Laura Kramer. I am a producer at Monocle 24. And for Christmas, I am doing two things. The first one is on Christmas Eve. I am making traditional Romanian sarmale. They are a, a dish made with a sour cabbage leaves and rolled up with ground pork and rice and onions. And my grandma taught me to saute the rice and onions together before putting them in. And that's going to be served with some momoliga, which is polenta. And then I'm going to make two other side dishes, like a Romanian potato salad and a gorgeous aubergine, kind of similar dip to baba ganoush. And then on Christmas Day, I do not like turkey, just like Fernando. 
and I will be making a duck with a sour cherry glaze. And I got a French duck, which I've never cooked before, scary, just from our butcher uh, really close to Midori House. Wish me luck. I'm Tom Edwards, Monocle Head of Radio, and for my Christmas fair, we tend to enjoy the very classic British staples. I am, of course, talking about turkey, homemade stuffing, must be homemade, uh, roast potatoes, parsnips, sprouts, absolutely. Um, I've never understood the animosity uh, many of our global brothers and sisters have towards sprouts. Um, And there's so many exciting ways you can uh, change up and innovate when it comes to your sprouts each yeah, uh, all the rest of the trimmings. Uh, what else we got? Gravy, lashings of gravy, of course. Um, later in the day, by this point, it's Christmas lunch. Could be happening in the evening. It'd be easing into homemade Christmas pudding. Set that baby alight. Cover it in uh, liquor and a sprig of holly. Uh, that delights old and young alike gathered around uh, the table. And of course, the whole thing is set to a grotesque overconsumption of alcohol of every vintage shape and form. Heavy drinking, that my friends, is a classic British Christmas lunch. Hi, I'm Monocle's Carlotta Babello, one of the producers and presenters here at Monocle 24. And my Christmas is spent in my hometown in Portugal, in the island of Madeira in Funchal. Our Christmas dinner table, as you can imagine, is very Portuguese and festive. That means there's a lot of elements from the beautiful Atlantic Ocean. Uh, that goes from grilled octopus to, of course, several different recipes of codfish. My grandma's favourite is what we call bacalhau con natas. Imagine a creamed uh, codfish that is served with layers of potatoes and onions and some breadcrumbs on top and then goes into the oven. We usually serve that up with a version of dried, salted and fried kale uh, that we have in Portugal, seasoned with a lot of garlic and a lot of chilli, which is quite nice. Uh, So that's one of my grandmother's staples that only really her comes out with that. And then the favourite dessert in our house is bolo rei, which means king's cake. I don't know where the name came from but it is uh, a Portuguese staple in every single household and it becomes a big debate whether you like yours with dried fruit or not in my house it's without so it's very much the Portuguese equivalent of the pandoro versus panettone like you have in Italy but grilled octopus continues to be the absolute favorite and that will be not for Christmas dinner but for Christmas lunch My Christmas dinner is very often airline food. It has been my habit of many years to fly out of London on Christmas Eve, bound for Australia. On the Middle Eastern airlines, it's usually standard airline fare. On Western airlines, they'll often add an inedible turkey option to the inedible chicken and inedible fish options, and you may be served by aircrew resentfully adorned with felt antlers. The meal I actually look forward to is lunch on Boxing Day. Everyone else's Christmas dinner leftovers, the cricket on TV. A combination actually enhanced by jet lag. 
Thanks, Andrew. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at 2000 London time. That's at midday if you are listening in Portland, Oregon. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show, Food Neighbourhoods, for great recipes. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Kelly McLean. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here is the Venus Guaraldi trio with Christmas Time is Here. Thanks for listening and until next week. Christmas time is here.